there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Dr. Batar, you got to help us. Help us all. There's a strange new liver disease. It's a new health threat. We're all going to die. Dr. Batar, are you there? I'm here, Robert. Unfortunately, um, we are all going to die, and it's part of life. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't take life too seriously. That's the first, that's the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, way to bring us down. I was hoping you'd come with a cure for death. You know what? Death is part of life. In fact, I believe we go back to the same place where we came from. So wherever we came, it can't be that bad of a place. So <laughs> There you go, going all spiritual. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, you know, people's, I think that one of the biggest problems in society is the people's pathological fear of that next phase of life, which in our society we refer to as death. But I think that uh, therein lies one of the key answers. As soon as you realize you're going to go back to the same place you came from, a lot of that fear is alleviated, and all of a sudden you can actually start to live now. Yeah. Well, this this new so supposed liver epidemic, right, that, that I'm reading about here, and it's linked up in the show notes, so I sent it to you. It's all about this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And in the article, the body of the article, where they acknowledge that this is happening, and they might even say, well, poor diet, not, not being active, and maybe carrying way too much weight. But they say their concern is... Not that. Their concern is they don't have a drug to treat this liver disease. Yeah, they don't have a drug to to ruin to to further ruin the liver <laughs> that is just doing its job to filter all the crap that we put into our bodies and that we're exposed to. And a lot of the stuff we don't even put in our bodies, we're just exposed to it anyway. And uh, that's what they're not referring to because the increase of toxic load in our global society is increasing at an exponential rate and of course we're going to start seeing more problems with the liver and we've talked about all this none of this oh, yeah. stuff is new to us obviously so no but what, what is new is that when you see a major headline in the scientific papers and this was uh, actually in the pittsburgh post gazette you know they're putting out a, a an all points bulletin somewhere when the media starts covering this thing Yet, again, all within the mainstream reporting of this, they're still scratching their head. Remember when they say, well, people are not active. All right, anybody can use common sense and say we would be better off by being active, by exercise. We agree with that. But then they say, well, it's associated with a poor diet. But the only thing they ever do when they say that is really nothing or, hey, you're eating too much fat or there's cholesterol. Or, they don't bring up pesticides and toxins and all of these environmental things you've just mentioned as a contributing factor, much less the drugs they say they don't have to heal the liver disease that, in fact, their drugs may have caused or contributed to it. Yeah, exactly, Robert. So it's a, a lot of this is propaganda, too, because they are... They may be trying to propagate a new drug by first creating a problem, saying, oh, look, this new liver disease, and now they're going to come up with some kind of a drug to make people feel that there's some kind of solution that they have, whereas, in fact, there is only one solution, and that is to upregulate the liver and reduce the amount of toxicity and, and get the allow the filter to basically work the way it was designed to work, to, to perfuse it better, and, and, of course, to then help the gut as well, because the liver picks up all the 
when you deal with the guts, you have to deal with the liver. When you deal with the liver, you have to deal with the guts. So mm-hmm. uh, one, one point that we can bring up for everybody here is that uh, you, the liver and the gut go hand in hand. When you detox one, you need to detox the other one. Otherwise, if you're detoxing the gut and the liver is still relatively toxic, then as the blood cycles through the liver, it's picking up the, the guts all clean. Nutrients get picked up, but then when it goes through the oil filter, the, the liver, it's getting re, the blood's getting re-polluted. And if you mm-hmm. deal with the liver and you don't deal with the gut, then even though everything that's coming through the liver is cleaned up, then it goes to the gut to pick up the new nutrients, but the gut is contaminated. And so you need to really address both. But the point being, again, that the liver, the issue with the liver is that you just need to optimize the function of the liver and reduce the amount of toxicity, and suddenly this new public health threat would mm-hmm. no longer be a new public health threat, unless, of course, they're creating this illusion to justify the use of another drug. Right. Now, help me out here, Dr. Batar, as a humble homeopath, pretty low-tech, although I love tech, too, but I'm low-tech, let's say, in addressing people's health concerns, you know, in a questioning the patient. We call that the anamnesis. We might do a, a low-tech pulse diagnosis. We might ask a little bit more about your history. But this guy was quoted in this article, Jose Oliva, medical director of Allegheny Health Network's, guess what, liver transplantation program. He said that they often discover this issue with the liver in routine blood work when it's ordered by a primary care physician if it reveals what they call elevated levels of liver enzymes. Now, my mentor in homeopathy said by the time a doctor can detect elevated liver enzymes, they may have had decades of congestion that would not have even showed up on these tests that we would be more sensitive to addressing holistically long before the high-tech medical community could even identify it. That's absolutely correct. When you see liver functions elevated, that means the house is already burning. That's exactly what that means. So you want to optimize the liver well before the elevation of the ASD and ALT and GGT. The problem is that there's really no way of assessing uh, in conventional medicine the the increase in load that the liver is having to deal with, the, the functional stress that the liver has. There are ways of doing that, obviously, that we have. Uh, right. You know, homeopathy, you obviously know many ways, and we do. In fact, the head map is oriented completely around not only the liver, but the gut and the kidneys and lymphatics and um, many other things that we're looking based upon a, symptom, a symptomatic FS36 uh, patient outcome-based type research model that we've utilized. So this SF36 questionnaire basically asks certain key components that indicate, based upon a symptomology, uh, ties back to a functional basis or a functional ideological uh, basis of what is causing the problem. So it actually, based upon what the patient is saying, what the patient is experiencing, ties back to where the dysfunction actually lies. And it's taken, well, in 1996 when I started my practice, we had a rudimentary form that I had found and uh, gotten actually from another doctor and had 16 questions, and now it's evolved to 260-some questions. And we've been able to really pinpoint where the issues are and how to optimize them and then use that as a feedback mechanism to give us feedback on a monthly basis as to how effective our treatment is so that when the patient takes the questionnaire the second time, the third time, the fourth time, we should consistently see the scores dropping because we're improving the functioning of those organ systems like the liver, the kidneys, the gut, etc. And that's in, that's, in fact, the entire basis of the HEDMAP, the Advanced Health Evaluation Assessment for Detoxification Medical Assessment Program. 
and hopefully that will be, um, you know, you know all the work that's been going into that. Oh, yeah, incredible. Yeah. And you've had to do this all beyond the scope, if I will say, of a traditional allopathic medical training. Unless, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you have a full-on semester, much less a year, on the subject of liver congestion in, in med school? Um, I don't even think we had uh, five <laughs> minutes on in one lecture period, and if we did, then I must have missed that one. It must have been that one of the lectures that I skipped. I mean, think about that. One of the most fundamental functions, systems of the body is not even given perhaps five minutes in medical school other than in pathology. They'll teach you, oh, well, here's a liver that's really toxic and sick and cirrhotic, right? But the, the function of prevention, it's not happening in the Flexner Report-inspired medical training toward pharmacology. Yeah, 1991 when I graduated from medical school, so that's uh, 23 years ago, there were no lectures on nutrition. There were no lectures on um, dysfunction such as this, like liver congestion or gut optimization. There was no mention or talk or discussion about gut dysbiosis or probiotics or biofilms. Or, you know, when you talked about gastrointestinal tract, you saw the histological basis. You, you looked at the um, gross morphological characteristics, you know, what the gut should look like. Um, Indications for surgery, um, palliative care like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, what type of drugs that a person should take, which are all immunosuppressive or you know, steroid-based. That was basically it. There was no talk about optimizing gut function, leave alone uh, looking at some of these things that may indicate that the gut needs to be optimized. There was no, no discussion about um, gut, liver, kidneys. Uh, there was no mention even of the word detoxification or how the <laughs> organ yeah. systems that I just mentioned, the kidneys, the liver, the, the gut were more important than some of the other organ systems. You know, we talked a lot about the, the cardiovascular system. We talked a lot about the lungs. Um, but the, the kidneys and the, and the gut and the liver, you know, basically took a back seat. And, of course, if your heart's not pumping, you can die. If your brain's not functioning, you're going to die. And there's, a, there's an old joke that the different organ systems got an argument about which, which one of them was most important. And the heart says, you know, I'm the most important, everybody... Uh, starts arguing, and then the the um, uh, liver says, "I'm the most important." Brain says, "I'm the most important." They're all arguing, and finally, the the rectum stands <laughs> up and says, "Listen, you guys may think you're all important, but I'm the most important." And they all look at him and start laughing. He says, "You, you're the most important." Yeah, right. You're the important, most important. Sure. And he says, "Yeah, you want me to prove it? Fine." And he just clenches up and he you know, crosses <laughs> his arms and. Uh, Within about uh, a day or so, everybody agrees that he's the most important. <laughs> yeah, nothing's getting out of this body, buddy. See how you think you're so smart, right? But, yeah, that's the right. whole thing, and you've said it so many times, and I've reiterated that when I go out and lecture, and we'll be together. Uh, in the uh, the jungles of Asheville, North Carolina, the Southern Appalachian Mountains. It's going to be great in a couple of weeks now, just over a couple of weeks uh, for the Healing Revolution Summit. Uh, Dr. Batar is there lecturing, and Ty Bollinger and I will be there as well. Dr. Frank King is hosting, and other uh, physicians and holistic professionals. It's going to be a really cool event. And we talk about the most important person, if we can say that, in a community is actually the garbage man, much like it is in your body, the ability to eliminate the toxic poisons, the waste, that if you do not, you end up with a mysterious disease that modern medicine scratches its head and said, gee, I wonder if we can figure out a new drug for this. And of course, the drug is the toxic problem that may have started the cascade of liver dysfunction decades ago. And of course, we know that if there's some kind of a drug that's going to inhibit function, then we know that it's also going to further contribute to the problem of liver congestion and functional um, 
compromise of the liver because it's another drug that now the liver has to process another metabolite uh, in addition to all the stuff that's causing the original problem in the first place. Yeah, and there's there's stories today I still want to cover with Dr. Batar here. We were doing Advanced Medicine Monday. If you ever miss one of our episodes together, one of the easiest ways to get it, we certainly have archives at GCN. We have archives at naturalnewsradio.com. Also, medicalrewind.com gives you access to a whole lot of great audio from our Advanced Medicine Medical Rewind episodes each and every week, hundreds of hours now. So stick around. Uh, there are eight foods that are banned in the rest of the world, but not here in the U.S. Also, eight things men do when they get diagnosed with cancer. We've got some interesting discussion here with Dr. Batar and plan to see us where? In Asheville, July 18th through 20th. We've got that linked up as well in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Back with Dr. Batar after these messages. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. North Carolina, July 18th through the 20th. Oh, there's a lot of things you can do. Dr. Batar will be there. He'll sign a copy of his book, the international bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Look forward to that and all the things we get to do together there. And the families will be connected as well. And, of course, here we are trying to raise our families a little bit more organically than most, perhaps. But the organic chemists of old still are having their way with our liver. If you think about in the United States, of course, the rest of the world might be laughing at us and going, yeah, you might have a big, bad military, but you're going to do yourself in by poisoning your own soldiers, much less your people. Eight ingredients. Here's a story linked up. Eight ingredients banned around the rest of the world, but still allowed in the food of Americans. Dr. Batar, not surprised, but it's still disappointing. Well, it isn't a surprise. In fact, you know, Ty and I were having a conversation a couple weeks ago about this very thing. He was talking about the the non-GMO aspects of food, and he was he had met a person in the grocery food store in the grocery aisle uh, at uh, a local food place, uh, local uh, grocery store in Texas where Ty lives, and he said that this person was a retired executive with Anheuser-Busch, a senior executive, and Ty was giving him a lecture about the evils of GMO. And this man, who's an elderly man in his late 70s, early 80s, was just nodding his head and just listening to Ty. And then finally he tells Ty that, listen, I just retired from Anheuser-Busch, and I was a senior executive there. And he said, when we made our beer, Bush beer, there were two batches that were made. One was made with non-GMO ingredients, and one was made with GMO ingredients. And he said that the non-GMO ingredients beer would get sent out to Mexico and to Canada, and the GMO ingredient beer was kept in the U.S. and sold to U.S. customers. And so he was very well aware of the difference. And how many people actually know that, that Anheuser-Busch actually has two different types of beer? Wow. Uh, I had no idea. I don't drink, but you know, I had no idea that that was the case. But it's like that with a lot of these, like, craft foods. These multinational conglomerates have different ingredients for Europe than they do for America. And we are the toxic kids on planet Earth because we don't have the longest food tradition. 
there's no German purity laws for beer, for instance, in America. And so we've adopted better living through technology. And, of course, it's been to our devastation and decimation of our liver and other systems like we just opened with talking about. Now, in this article of eight ingredients, they include brominated vegetable oil. They call it BVO, and it's used a lot of people that think they're doing well by drinking sports drinks, these day-glow colors that don't exist in nature really this way. And it emulsifies it so that the flavorings don't separate out, and it competes with iodine receptors in the body. So this is not a good idea, yet it's allowed in America, just not elsewhere. Yeah, this is, um, this is beyond disturbing, obviously, and um, some of us have known about this for a very long time. You know, you brought up craft as an example, and I don't know whether we've ever talked about this in the air. Maybe you have, Robert, in different segments, but, you know, craft is another perfect example of if you get Kraft macaroni and cheese, same logo, same company, same everything, and you buy it in the U.K., yep. it has four ingredients. It has macaroni, cheese, water, uh, macaroni, cheese, salt, and sugar. Yeah. And if you get it in the United States, the package looks exactly the same, but there's 22, 23 different ingredients, of which, you know, a third of them, we have no idea what they even mean. Yeah, and they're listed in the article, in fact, the slideshow of it, blue one, blue two, yellow five, yellow six. These are known carcinogens in terms of the flavorings, the colorings, in this case, the colorings. Olestra, I had no idea Olestra was still around. This was the fake fat that caused, well, not to be indelicate, but anal leakage. I mean, this is the craziest stuff ever. It got approved. It's still approved for use in America. Yeah, it's, it's again, um, we are the ultimate experimentation of uh, Big Pharma, and mm -hmm. uh, I don't know why the American public allows this to happen, with the exception, the only reason that I can see is that they just are completely duped into thinking that none of this stuff is around anymore. Right. I, I know that when we talk about mercury and amalgams, I bet you every time this, comp this uh, subject comes up, nine out of ten people will tell me that that aren't, you know, well aware of this. Nine out of ten people will tell me, Oh, yeah, no, I've heard about that, but they don't put that in vaccines anymore. Right. Mercury is not there. So they're preying on our ignorance as Americans. We've trusted the so-called high-tech companies and their involvement with government and government regulators and medical oversight to the point where we're all damaged and, and just we're, we're cancer-ridden as a culture. And we're going to get to that. Remember, they're still putting that azodicarbonamide, the yoga mat stuff, in bread, despite what the food babe has done. Eight things men do when they learn they have cancer. We'll talk about it. Are they appropriate? Should you be doing it even if you don't have cancer? We're talking as we do each and every Monday here. Advanced Medicine, the Medical Rewind with Dr. Rashid Batar. Come see us out at the Healing Revolution Summit, July 18th through 20th. We'll have more information on that. Links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Who'd you say that masked man was? It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day! The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Ladies and gentlemen, you're such a wonderful crowd. We'd like to play a little tune for you. It's one of my personal favorites. Health. What? Freedom. What? Liberty. What? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Okay. Health. What? Freedom. What? Liberty. What? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Yeah! Who else do you want in your corner when you're moving for health, freedom, and healing liberty? Of course, Dr. Rashid Batar. 
The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, a book, international bestseller. I hope you'll be able to get it. If you haven't already, come and see us. We'll all be together at the Healing Revolution Summit. Dr. Frank King is hosting in Asheville, July 18th through 20th. So uh, we, we were talking about uh, the liver issue to start and, and building into the eight toxic poisons that are allowed in food in America but not other places. Now we have a story about eight things that men do once they are diagnosed with cancer. And we may ask the question, why do they wait for that? Certainly. I want to give you a heads up that we've got a nice letter coming in from our friend Eric, who is a pharmacist whose son was taken to see Dr. Batar. And the results that have happened have been great. We've talked about it before, but it's a cute little exchange with uh, uh, their son and their mother. So uh, we'll get to that in a little while. But interesting on this list of the eight things that men do. I find it most interesting that it, that it takes a cancer diagnosis to get men to do things that are better for them. Yeah, and again, you know, it's interesting the, those those points, which I think Robert, you're going to list out right in here in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to read them. Those in just points a are. Yeah, I think those. What's interesting is that those eight points are. They, I don't see anything about those eight points that should not be applicable to all people to help them to prevent all uh, aspects of disease. Actually, it's a, it's a very broad and and universal type of recommendation that would benefit everybody right right no, number one on the list they say is lose weight we might we might expand that to say lose toxins and by the way the weight will come off but you know they kind of get that concept of you carrying around a little bit or a lot of bit extra stuff it's good to dump that out as we discussed yeah i would i would change that from losing weight to losing body fat because when you lose body fat you lose a lot of toxins because toxins get stored in fat. There's a greater propensity for the adipose tissue to actually hold on to a lot of the toxic substances. Right. If you lose body fat, by definition, you're going to you're going to mobilize. It's going to be a lipolytic pathway initiation, and you're going to lose uh, a lot of uh, accumulative or storage area that accumulates a lot of these toxins. And so that's probably how I would word that one. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think, isn't it interesting when we talked about this new liver disease, right, that they're claiming, it's a, they call it a fatty liver. Could it be because the liver is unable to deal with the accumulated load that the fat cells become the storage places to keep the other vital areas of the body alive a little bit longer? Yeah, I would concur. Yeah. So that's the concept of weight loss. If anybody's going to lose weight, think of it in terms of not losing weight per se, poundage, because muscle technically, if you're uh, really building muscle, you might gain weight. But if you lose the fat that's holding the toxins and doing that in conjunction with methods that Dr. Batar and I talk about consistently, you're supporting liver and kidney and colon and, and a lymphatic detox so that you're actually able to carry the poisons out of the body as, as opposed to just liberating them and have them circulate freely, creating more havoc. Yeah, exactly. This is an important point people have to understand. They need to stop looking at the scale. They need to start looking at how they fit in their clothes, how they feel in their body, and more often than not, if you compare a person that's fit with another person that's not fit and, and you know, basically... The f- a person that's a, a fatter person or obese person with the person same height, but that is actually in good physical condition with with a good ratio of body uh, lean body mass. The person that actually is in good shape is going to weigh more than the obese person because pound for pound, muscle is more dense than fat, and so it's the comparison between a house the size. Uh, I'm sorry, a, a box the size of a room that's made of styrofoam versus a concrete block. Hmm. So 
the concrete block is much denser, it's smaller, but it's also much heavier as compared to the huge box of styrofoam, which is takes up a lot more space, but is a lot lighter because it's fast. Yes, so less dense, you're right. The second one on the list that says what men decide to do after they have a cancer diagnosis is to eat less red meat. Now, I would say that this is somewhat controversial because it doesn't get into a delineation between grass-fed uh, meat that in some cases body types certain, certainly do well on that, better than others, that, that uh, we would bio-individualize a dietary plan for somebody that's been diagnosed in this way. But many people are probably eating to excess of their needs. Yeah, red meat is one of those things that I think has gotten a bad rap. It's not the meat that's the problem, even though red meat is high in arachidonic acid and there's a whole bunch of uh, things that occur, but it's not really the red meat that's the problem. It's the things that we do to the red meat that's the problem. The pesticides and the insecticides used in the grains that are used to feed to the, ca- the cattle that then get transferred to the humans that are eating the meat the antibiotics that are given to these animals to keep them in close quarters to prevent diseases, the hormones that are given to these animals to make them grow faster. All these things get transferred to the human uh, consumer of that meat. Mm -hmm. So that's really the problem with the red meat. And then on top of that, there's a lot in the the, uh, health sector, there's a lot of people talk about the evil of red meat. And really, meat, anything that God made is good as long as we keep it clean and, and we consume it the way it was originally designed to be consumed, the way nature intended us for us to consume it. When we start to screw around with it, that's what screws everything up. Yeah, we get the arrogance of man again. Now, the third thing on the list is exercise more. It's hard to argue with that, except there are certain forms of exercise that I've come to understand may not be beneficial, like the the people that do these ultra-marathon trainings. Uh, and and the depletion of, of mineral and body resources, some of these folks that you think they're the tip-top of health, they, they die of a heart attack suddenly. Yeah, the lack of dehydrogenase levels in these people are extremely high. And this would come down to that key concept of balance and moderation, everything in the right balance. Mm-hmm. So the next one – oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I was just going to say, we, as a society, though, we don't exercise enough and we consume too much you know, red meat and, and foods like that. So I think it would probably be applicable to that balance aspect to all these components. Yeah, relative to your activity levels and metabolic rates uh, will determine how much, if you're not a vegetarian, if you do eat meat, how much you need, or in terms of protein, the nitrogen balance in the body. Technically, you don't need a lot, but then again, most people are filling up on highly refined carbohydrates and are not getting the right kind of fats as well. So this comes back to dietary shifts uh, and, and really out-creating the old lies of modern medicine that fat is bad for you. But we'll get to that. This is a good one. This is sort of spiritual. It says developing a stronger sense of community and family relations. Yeah, I think that's part that's really good for all aspects of life. It's a grounding component. It's making you realize, you know, what life is all about. It's slowing down and smelling the roses type of suggestion. Yeah, and my uncle, who was a physician, uh, a nuclear medicine specialist, when he got his cancer diagnosis, a few months before he died, more from the treatment than anything, uh, he reassessed what made him happy. That's on the list. He began painting. He began to be very creative. He smiled, and it wasn't his profession, but he was suddenly doing something that made him happy. That's another thing on the list. Yeah, it's perfect. What about learning to relax and meditate? That's not something we'd ever recommend. Yeah, that's not like it's been written about in the nine steps to keep the doctor away. In fact, even the exercise and the nutrition, all these things are actually in, in, in my book and have been for a long time now. 
Yeah, I know. That's what's funny about it. That's why it's it's a kind of a gimme segment. But I really want to come across this this thing. That's like these people are waiting, waiting for cancer to do this. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I guess the I guess the title of my book is very appropriate: the nine steps to keep the doctor away. So, if you want to get cancer and then start doing this, or you want to keep the doctor away, you know, <laughs> I consider doing these things. Right. Now, here's another one. Number seven on the list. Uh, yet they, number two was about eating less red meat. This one says have more of a plant-based diet. It's hard to argue that even our Paleolithic cousins in ancestry did not eat vegetables. In fact, we covered a story recently where they analyzed the petrified poop of our ancestors and said, oh, my gosh, these cavemen actually ate vegetables. Yeah. Uh, plant-based is always good. Again, I, I don't agree with uh, the vegetarian uh, diet, Robert, you know that uh, my argument there is that if that was what we were supposed to consume, then we wouldn't have the incisors, which only omnivores and carnivores have. Uh, herbivores don't have the canine teeth, and so I believe that we were designed to consume meat. So, But plants, we, we, we are omnivores. We are supposed to be con- consuming um, plant-based foods as well, and I do think that plant-based is better than a higher meat component, but it's mm-hmm. not to say the carbohydrate proteins. I think the body, we need to consume, actually, we consume too much carbohydrates in modern-day society and not enough protein. I think we need to consume more protein and less carbohydrates because when you start looking at the carbohydrate intake, it's about 80% in most people's diets, and it should be more like 50%, and maybe protein should be, uh, instead of uh, 5 to 10%, should be maybe closer to 25%, uh, and then, of course, fats, 25% to 30%, whatever you want yeah, to say. Yeah, but haven't, haven't we overwhelmed ourselves with carbs because we were taught to fear fat? Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's the whole thing. It's been misinformation upon misinformation that's uh, perpetuated these myths, and uh, that's one of the things that we have to realign ourselves, that we need to consume less carbohydrates, because carbohydrates are the fuel. We, you know, back when we were cavemen, we needed more fuel because we were going out there and as I said in my book, the, you know, when's the last time we had to hunt a hamburger? Well, we, we don't have to hunt hamburgers, so we don't need to have that additional fuel. We need to actually reduce the amount of fuel, and we need to have more rebuilding, uh, the, the, the building blocks that are necessary for rebuilding our bodies, which is protein. Mm-hmm. So you've got fats, which is stored form of fuel, you've got carbohydrates, which is active fuel, and then you've got the proteins, which are the building blocks. And so we need to consume more protein to help our bodies to be able to regenerate due to the stressors that we're seeing uh, our bodies being exposed to in the modern day environment yeah excellent now this last one on this list of number eight th- eight things that they've said these men do after they have their cancer get cancer diagnosis uh is to eat more consciously you know three of the things are about eating which is really cool but it says eating to provide nutrition to promote better immunity and prevent disease so it's sort of like i'm choosing the food now that will actually enhance my immune system to prevent disease. It's not just eating for calories or eating for... It's like thinking, what do I eat that will actually support my immune system? Absolutely. And it's very, very sound advice, very good advice. But only eight, not nine? That's why we have the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Yeah, well, they, they obviously knew that they couldn't use that line, you know, because then there'd be <laughs> copyright infringement. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to mess with you, Dr. Batar. Well, you know, so they only did the... They only did the the top three of those eight steps was all to do with uh, what they're eating, but they didn't talk about they didn't talk about exercise, they didn't talk about meditation, they didn't talk about vices, they didn't talk about supplementation. There were certain yeah. things that they didn't talk about. Laughter they didn't talk about, so 
Right. Well, good segment to cover it. Get everybody plugged in. And if you haven't already made plans, come on down. See us in Asheville, North Carolina, July 18th through the 20th. Get Dr. Pitar's book. Our buddy Ty is going to be there. Dr. King is hosting a whole got a whole lot of great healthcare providers talking about healing the healers as well. We'll learn a lot. We'll teach a lot. We'll laugh a lot too. Stick around. We're going to talk about the little boy that was helped by Dr. Batar. His dad, you know him. He's a pharmacist. We'll be back. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Another great episode of Medical Rewind, Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rasha Batar. Almost wrapping it up here, but uh, we got a letter uh, that came through to me, Dr. Batar, from our friend Eric, who's a pharmacist. And I got to meet him as well in person at Health Freedom Expos and different events. And he came to Advanced Medicine Seminar as well. And he brought his son to see you. And he he said, uh, you know, please forward this to Dr. Batar. I don't have his personal email, but it's a, a little nice, cute little dialogue with his son and his son's mother, uh, Eric's wife. And I thought I'd, if you don't mind, I would read it to get people a perspective from the kid's perspective of what he had been through and coming to see you and how he's doing. Yeah, I, I got that email late last night from you, and, and I I enjoyed reading it. And it's always kind of cool to see the perspective from the patient, from the child himself. My oldest patient that I've ever treated, and that's fully reversed now, is a 16-year-old kid who's not 22 and has his own business. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, and uh, but this is this is a really nice one. So yeah, I think that's a good idea. So yeah, this is a dialogue between the son and uh, his mother, and he says, "Mom, uh, do you think I would have gotten better if we just saw my other doctor and not Doctor Batar?" And mom says, "Well, the other doctor did help you a lot, but there were some things he couldn't do." And then the little boy says, "Mom, I feel like he got me this much better, holding out his fingers to show me, but now I feel like I'm a whole lot better. I'm a lot better." And then mom asks him, in what ways? The little boy says, my tics aren't very much anymore, mom. And, and then he says, mom, they were really bothering me before. And so she asks him, how does your body feel? And he says, well, my neck and back only hurt a little bit sometimes, but they really hurt before. And here's the kicker. He says, and I have energy. And so the mom's just talking to dad. They're just like music to their ears and how grateful they are. For the first doctor who kind of diagnosed him to got him to a certain point, but then they're forever grateful mm-hmm. to you and your nurse practitioner, Jane, of course, a wonderful woman that works with you for bringing him to the finish line. So they're, they're just, it's so exciting to see and hear this. Yeah, it was a nice uh, email. And, you know, we, we get uh, letters like this, a couple of them every week, and it never gets old. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been getting letters like this for over a decade and a half, and I'll tell you, it, it never gets old, Robert. It's one of those things that... Yes. It, it, it never loses. It, it makes it's my heart back. happy. And, and he's even yeah. got a message. Eric sends the parents are writing here about this. And they said to all the parents going through this now. So it's like a message to all of the moms and dads out there uh, who might be suffering similarly or have kids that have been harmed by vaccines or other things from the environment. And he sa- says this to if your kiddo has hit a plateau, if you feel like quality of health is sucking the joy out of your quality of life, if you have that gut feeling that you need to look in a different direction, pray on it and listen. Pray on it and listen. I love that. And it's so practical because this is what happened for them, and they got their answers. They were able to get help, and it's just a wonderful story. Yeah, it is. It's one of the things that I tell all my patients, uh, my cancer patients especially, that they need to 
meditate and pray on which direction they need to take because the answer will always come. I don't usually say that to parents with uh, autistic children, but uh, I'm glad that Eric said that because that's exactly the the way I feel and, the, and what I try to recommend to all my patients because they do need to do that. And, and I also tell people that if the answer comes that we're not the right clinic, then you know you need to honor that because we're not the right place for everybody. And it's it's not about what, whether they come to us or go somewhere else. It's about the fact that you're following your inner guidance. And that is that intuition, that sixth sense, that gut feeling, whatever you want to call it, that is the creator talking to us. It's communication from the higher source and the universal consciousness that guides us. And right. I've had people tell me, well, you know, God doesn't talk to me, Dr. Tarn. I tell them, well, God talks to everybody. Uh, even if you don't believe in God, he's still talking to you uh, or she's talking to you. It's whether or not we are listening or not. That's what makes the difference. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. And you mentioned the word inner guidance. Our mutual friend, Ann Archer Butcher, she's got a book out that's really doing well called Inner Guidance, Our Divine Birthright. And you know some of her stories. She's going to be down here in this area, Lake, Lake Mary area of Orlando, to talk about this book, Inner Guidance, at a couple of bookstores. So we're going to connect with her next weekend. I didn't know that she finally got her book done. She, she talked to me about it uh, years ago that she was going to be doing a book. Um, but no, I oh, it, the book was already you out. love it. It reads like a a, a a novel. You can't each each pair each page. You're like, what is the next adventure this woman is going on? And you know some of those stories. She's an excellent writer. I think you'll enjoy it knowing her the way you do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna actually call her after I get off the phone and ask her to send me a copy. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll look forward to seeing her in the Orlando area. I'll get more information out about it this week. But Dr. Batar, another great Medical Rewind. Check it out online, medicalrewind.com. If you missed anything, it'll be up. Super Don helps us to get it there. And Dr. Batar, you know, we don't have a lot left to say except what we remind our listeners each and every week and each and every day here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. I'll, I'll let them let you have it. The power to heal is yours. Yeah, a big amen from me and all of those out there. And, Eric, thank you for writing in about that with your son. We appreciate you so very much. Back next week with more Powerful Healing. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.